Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders in the hospitality and restaurant industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out. The kind that both employees and customers love and support. Today, I'm in very, very good company with Mark Saltz, co-founder of Winnow. They work with companies in the hospitality industry to help them minimize food waste. Through their AI technology, they have already in a short space of time helped to save more than 23 million meals in the kitchens they work with. Very impressive. We will today be talking about climate challenges of our planet humanity, how tech can help to solve these problems, and how to grow a business fast, leadership, and much more. So get comfy, get your headphones and notebook, you're in for a treat, and enjoy. It gives me a great pleasure to be a guest here at Winnows, where I'm sitting with Mark Sons, the founder of Winners. I'm very happy that you invited me here today to talk about a very important mission you guys are on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. So for people out there that don't know who Mark Sons is and Winnow, can you just give them a, a quick overview about who Mark Sons, why you decided to go on this important mission of improve food waste in the world. Mark Zorn's one of the founders of Winnow. I've worked in food pretty much my entire life. Worked for the, the, the U.S.'s largest food wholesaler. Then uh, got into sustainability while working for the U.S. Green Building Council. And then found myself at McKinsey working in their sustainability practice and their consumer practice here in London. After some work that I was doing at McKinsey, really got inspired to help address the issue of food waste, which we'll talk about a lot through this podcast, and founded Winnow. Winnow is a business that helps the hospitality industry in a very simple way understand what food waste is occurring within their kitchens, uh, give them the analytics to be able to reduce that food waste and prevent it from occurring, and ultimately cut food waste in half, saving anywhere between 2% to 8% typically on food costs. Yeah, and when you look at your solution, it's, it's quite a simple solution. It's a bin with a camera. It's a technology called Winnow Vision. Winnow Vision is a computer vision or sort of artificial intelligence-enabled technology. There's a camera that looks down at the bin. There is a scale that sits underneath the bin. And as food is thrown away, there's a change in weight in the scale. The camera takes photos of that food and we train a artificial intelligence algorithm to identify what those foods are in real time. We then give that information back to the chef to help them understand what the cost of that is, why the food's being wasted, and then pairing that up with sort of what they've purchased or what they've sold, they're able to make better production decisions in the kitchen as a result. The outcomes that these companies that use your solution, what is the outcomes? I looked at your website, it's an insane return of investment and also allow impact on, on the planet and so on. Yeah, so I mean, when we go into kitchens, it will kind of depend on how much food waste there is when we get there. I think the one thing that is common across kitchens is more often than not, there is more food waste than anyone actually appreciates that is occurring and more food waste that is actually occurring within the kitchen than people appreciate is occurring. That's normal. When we go in, we find that it's typically on average, probably around 10 to 20% of purchases will actually get thrown away. There's a part of that that's leftover food on the plate, but it's typically a majority of it, which is occurring within the kitchen for a few reasons. Typically making food that's not sold, you know, errors in the kitchen, not maximizing the yield on the products, and then sort of any sort of inventory issues that sort of occur with that. We come in, we help them 
uh, reduce that food waste and prevent it from occurring. And by reducing food waste, uh, say you're throwing away, you know, 15% of purchases, including plate waste, and you were able to cut that down to seven, there's a direct savings to your bottom line as a result. Yeah, and I guess also there is the, uh, the story around making the planet a better place as well, where a lot of companies trying to find solutions about how they participate in that. You're exactly right. Look, the reason we do this is because we believe that food is too valuable to waste. And we really kind of sort of think of our, our numbers as a business and our success success as how much food waste we're preventing. We look at that in a couple of different ways. We look at that at the value of the food waste we're preventing, which is kind of the, the money we're saving our clients. We look at it also in the number of meals we're prevented from, from being thrown away. And this business is very much about trying to solve a major environmental issue and uh, doing the right thing for the planet. But we recognize that the economics of what we do have to work at the same time for us to properly scale. And we're fortunate enough that both work quite well. It's very, you know, relevant in the times we're living in now where we talk about climate change, the brutal work climate change, where, you know, a lot of people have thought transportation energy was some of the big issues but it's really become clear now that food is one of the massive issues and i read a book recently that's called no plan b mm-hmm. mike burns the, the founder of the, the internet from lancaster university and it's like gripping the first chapter around food about like 20 percent of all food waste is done by consumers mm-hmm. as an example and it's like one of those things that we all we all need to take part of this thing because food is something we do three times a day and we all can make a difference. Up until, let's call it sort of 2010, a lot of the environmental activities around climate change, greenhouse gases, were focused on the energy system, on transport, focused on what we can do in a more intelligent way to reduce coal production, right? And make our transportation fleet more efficient or move to electric vehicles. Still really important to do that. What's exciting is that renewables are a very fast growing part of the energy mix, but energy demand's increasing. There's still a lot of fossil fuels out there that are planned to be dug out of the ground and used, and that'll have big emissions. What we really thought about when it came to sustainability in food was, I think at that point in time, it was a lot about organic. It was about how do you grow stuff in a natural way? And there really wasn't the sort of broader thinking that is now in the mindset of kind of everyone, which is that a couple facts, right? The food system is about 25 to 30% of greenhouse gas emissions. That's the Greenhouse gas emissions from growing the food, from land use change, because we're tearing down forests to be able to grow more food. We're we're growing animal proteins, which is very resource intensive. Then, of course, the costs of transporting, cooking. And then when you throw that food away and you do it in a environment, say landfill, it creates a lot of methane. Methane is a really powerful greenhouse gas, about 25 times that of carbon dioxide, and you get a massive impact as a result. In understanding that, I think the dialogue around the food system has shifted, that we need to transform our system for a number of reasons to be able to solve the environmental issues we have. And I think that while the world's getting better in a lot of different ways, um, really, really is, the one sort of existential we have as a species and as a planet is climate change, and we need to address it. Yeah, and I guess it's the the biggest threat and opportunity at the same time for businesses. Yeah, that's right. The way we look at this is the food system needs to evolve. It needs to take a big step forward. And you're already seeing a lot of investment going into this. Let me just give you a few examples, right? You're seeing big name IPOs for plant-based alternatives, you know, impossible foods beyond meat. 
you're seeing 50 to hundreds of millions of dollars being raised by organizations like Appeal Sciences that are applying new technologies to extend the shelf life of things like avocados and elsewhere. You're seeing big investments and sort of big even sort of acquisitions around things like weather data when it comes to food production. And I suppose the question is, why is that? Well, one, there's a lot of innovation going on here. The GDP or the sort of economic value of the entire food system is about $10 trillion. It's a lot of money that's out there. At the same time, you've got a food system that people are either overweight or malnourished. There's impacts on land use change. There's sort of as the sort of, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emission issues that we talked about, a host of other issues that there was a report that recently came out that said that it's actually about $12 trillion of cost to this system. And it doesn't have to be that way. Innovation and broader awareness and behavior change around sort of how we consume food, how we grow food can be regenerative, can be positive. And we like to think that we're one very small part of a large group of organizations trying to help push that change. A client typical approach you, what is their, their, their problem? What is they're trying to solve when they, they approach you guys? They will have a recognition that they want to get control of food waste. Uh, food waste is now becoming more and more an issue that restaurants need to address. Frankly, chefs have grown up being taught not to waste food. And so I wouldn't say that this is a new thing, but there's an awareness that gathering information around what's being wasted and actually measuring it to manage it is important. So a client will approach us. They will say it's a hotel chain. They'll say they want to start to understand what they what they can be doing about food waste, perhaps because they've seen their peers do something about it. And we typically run a test across a multiple number of hotels to prove out what the business case would be. During that test, we also use that time to train up our AI system and then demonstrate to them kind of how the technology could scale as we sort of scale up across their business. And we've seen that happen with a number of organizations. We're working with groups like IKEA, with Accor Hotels, Intercontinental Hotel Group, with Hilton, with Costa, uh, the Italian division of Carnival Cruise Lines, Compass Group, ISS. There's a sort of long list of organizations mm. that we're now working with. And what we're excited to see is that more and more companies are beginning to take this issue of food waste seriously. I think it's a opportunity for them. I think their customers care about the fact that they are minimizing the food that's thrown away. And frankly, their stakeholders care that they're running their business as efficient as they possibly can. And it's a win-win as a result. Do you know how much food you have saved? Do you have an idea about that? Is there anything you are measuring compared to the journey you're on from an impact point of view that what has Winnow done for the planet in a way from a food waste point of view? When you're looking at successful, looking at the business, you talked about how many meals have we saved in a way. We track that weekly. Today, we're saving our clients about 35 to 36 million dollars a year in food costs. That's about 25 million meals. So that's about a meal every second that's no longer wasted because of Winnow. That is a small drop in the bucket compared to the overall problem. The amount of food wasted worldwide is estimated to be about $1.2 trillion a year just in the cost of that food. When we're talking about millions compared to trillions, um, it is certainly humbling uh, to recognize how big this issue is. Our ambition over the next few years is to grow that impact to $1 billion that we are saving our clients. You know, it's going to take a lot of growth. It's going to take a lot of impact we're going to have to deliver. But that's the one thing we're aiming for and kind of everything emanates from that. I believe if you focus the organization on first delighting the partners and the clients that you work with, 
maximizing the impact you, the positive impact you can have on their business. Everything else should be able to fit together beneath that. It's super interesting because I can remember when I read uh, No Planet B as well. I think he he said around 6,000 calories of food were produced every day for every human being on the planet and about 2,000 of them disappeared just in feeding animals. And then I think there was in the end when you talk about where we consume, we also consume too many calories. There was still 1,500 left that was probably food waste. It's an important thing to address together with eating more plant-based and eating less meat. Just to sort of take a step back and, and let's just talk about feeding people, right? There's going to be 9 to 10 billion people in this planet in 2050. That's a lot more mouths to feed. And, I, you know, you, you put that into the context as well that those people are also going to be having generally more resource-intensive diets because the great news is is that we're pulling a huge number of people out of poverty. And those people are moving from, you know, relatively subsistence-based diets to rich, diverse diets, which is fantastic. And we should be trying to enable that as opposed to saying that as a threat. But if you do just sort of straight line and you say, well, if everybody who moves along that sort of level of wealth does what other people have done, eat more meat, eat more resource-intensive food, and you think about how much food we have to grow. And even if you do account for the fact that we are going to get more out of the farms that we are growing at, yields will improve for that. You really can't square growing food for those people without a change or massive deforestation. We don't have a lot of virgin forest left, right? About 80% of it sits in Brazil and and, and and sort of sub-Saharan Africa or sort of in the Guinea Savannah in Africa. There's not a lot left in Europe. There's really none left in, in India, not a lot of other places. And that's pretty arresting if you think about kind of what that means. But if we do want to preserve that biodiversity and those forests, we're going to have to do really a few things. We're going to have to cut waste right? We're going to have to cut the one third of food that we grow that actually is never eaten. We're going to have to shift to more healthy diets as a result. By that, I mean sort of a couple of things, eating the sort of right amounts of food, but also looking at what we're eating and move away from more intensive animal proteins and having a more broad mix of plant-based proteins. It doesn't mean that everyone needs to be a vegetarian. I'm not, but it does mean that we need to eat those things in more moderation and we wouldn't be doing it just for the planet. We'd be doing it for our health as well. I mean, the number one, you know, killer is cardiovascular disease. There's huge links there between that. So yeah, and and I guess that's also where where your clients want to participate in that journey, and they can do something very concrete here when they take winnow in. I would advise anyone on the uh, on the podcast to go and see these results that's done with these companies. Besides, you know cutting some significant costs, but the, the impact that it has on, on the planet in a positive way. You mentioned a lot of catering businesses and big operator, commercial kitchen kind of thing. Have you been on the journey into, you know, more the high street restaurants as well? Because I have a background from high street restaurants. I know there's also a lot of food waste happening there in handling overproduction, bad planning and so on. And this all comes from not having the data in principle. It's, it's run on gut gut feeling about how you do your production and, and how you order food. 
what what amazed me is that even in some of the largest food organizations, it's also run on gut feel. That to me just says there's an opportunity here to use technology to help. Now, this is in no way, in my view, to replace or to take away. There's a there's a lot that the chef understands about the people coming through that door. There's a lot that they're doing that is hugely important. But to have systems help you with the pattern recognition, to have systems help you improve your decision making is how I think we should be considering it. To go to your question about sort of working with large operators versus sort of more high street operators, we've worked with and do work with kitchens of sort of all different sizes and scales. We focus on the biggest businesses out there because it's how we today can have the biggest impact. That's really how we think about it. If we can get these large multinational organizations to see the opportunity on food waste, get them to make commitments on reducing food waste and do that in an economically positive way, we can drive scale on maximizing how much food waste we're preventing, as well as, you know, growing our business at the scale and the pace that we want to. We're doing a bit more work now with with dark kitchens. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, You know, you talk about sort of broader trends in the hospitality industry, and you would immediately have to talk about food delivery and how that's changing things. You know, these sort of dark kitchens have to serve an incredible number of meals in a very short period of time. And anyone that operates a dark kitchen will totally recognize that, you know, peak ordering time of sort of six to say nine o'clock and the volumes you have to put through is is crazy when you're really being successful and that's a, that's a great thing. The only way you really do that is by pre-preparing a good amount of that food and kind of managing that production process so that you're doing assembly at that time as opposed to sort of you know cooking from scratch. And that creates an opportunity for for waste, unfortunately, and, and we come in to help control that and sort of help the kitchens we work get a handle on that. We love working with some of the biggest sites we can find because frankly, it's the sites we can save the most money at, right? And we can reduce the most food waste. We work on cruise ships. There's a big opportunity on cruise ships. And it's not because cruise ships are any more or less efficient than a land-based hotel. It's just that these cruise ships are feeding 6,000 people a day, three meals a day. How many operations do you know that are doing that type of volume 365 days a year? Not that many. And so there's an opportunity to make a big impact in a very short period of time with those type of operations, right? We, we like working with those big operations. They tend to get the highest return on investments. I mean, we're talking above 10x year one. So it's kind of yeah. really, really big. But, you know, at the same time, we have done a lot with our product offering to have a solution for all kitchens. And... You think about one of our clients like IHG, right? They've got Intercontinental Hotel Group. We'll have Intercontinentals all the way down to kind of a Holiday Inn Express. You think about a contract caterer. They're going to have mega stadiums they work with, and they're going to have small offices that they do, you know, what is effectively sort of sandwich and coffees to be able to provide food for the staff there. We want to give a solution that allows kitchens of all sizes to be able to get after and address food waste. It is different kind of versions of our technology, right? It's really underpinned by artificial intelligence, and we believe that that's a huge enabler to drive scale. But, you know, we want to make sure that we can service any kitchen that wants to help solve this problem because it's important that we enable that. We, we, we've seen that the, the industry now is also starting picking up, you know, on, on not only the, the, the big hospitality provider and catering business, but also the, the restaurant high street as, as part of reinventing themselves. They've gone through some 
challenges over the last couple of years. You see these entrepreneurs opening stores or restaurants where sustainability is at the core of what they do and technology as well. Technology is not something we do second, it's actually part of the business. And I think you know, they started a couple of years ago in the US where you're from. Sweet Green is a great example where mm-hmm. technology, food and community started out together. That was the business plan. It was not a restaurant chain. It was That was the problem we were solving. It was the food system, building great jobs in communities and actually have a message that's bigger than than profit when you go out. And I guess that's also where, where the opportunity comes for Winnow as this goes into the high street as well. Yeah, I think there are a couple of sort of big trends to talk about there. One is, is that younger generations tend to care a lot more about sustainability. I think it's pretty obvious why they're going to have to live with the consequences more than I'm going to have to and more than my parents are going to have to, right? We're only beginning to see what's happening with climate change and the worst impacts of that are going to come, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 years down the road. And so if you've got 80 years of life ahead of you, you know, frankly, 2100 is something you're concerned about and sort of what the world looks like at that point in time. There's that. uh, And I think that's just fundamental and that's just not going to go away. To see that as a fad, to see that as some sort of sense of, I've heard people describe it as entitlement or just like the mindset of the youth and they kind of grow up. The reality is you've got to imagine looking ahead and needing to exist in a world in 2100 and you hear about what possibly could be happening at that point in time, that would scare the heck out of me, man. You know, I, I hope to live that long, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to actually make the world as, as hospitable as, as it can be at that point in time. So that's kind of one trend there. Sustainability in food is a mega trend that will continue to wash over and sort of drive change within the industry. Then there's, then there's technology. You can think of technology in the hospitality industry as everything from food delivery all the way to what, what I think is a bit of a dystopian future where it's robot chefs that are preparing a, a very sort of standard uh, meal to me where I, I do that or even frankly just, uh, you know, I sort of take my food shake kind of like it is in the in the matrix, right? Sort yeah. of as you think about that. But um, they exist these places because a friend of mine was in China and he came home with this video of where they go into cinema for and then they're taking into this robot restaurant. It was like so surreal in a way. Yeah. It's nothing to do with hospitality. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think that there's there's going to be a place for those things. But like the future that I see, and, and I guess the way that I think of technology is technology is a tool, right? And it's a tool generally to help people be better versions of themselves to do better and to achieve more. I, I do see, you know, there, there there being an impact on sort of how people work. But I think the best technologies are ones that coexist with in, and enrich the food experience, enrich the way for the chef to make a better connection with the guests that are coming in to that restaurant and to overall do a better job delighting. And that can mean lots of different things depending on what your positioning is. If you are fast food, delighting can be making it as fast as possible and you can order before you arrive and just pick it up and go because it's a it's a refueling experience, right? It can be technology that enriches the sort of dining table experience if you are sitting down and, and, and you so want to do that. Where Winnow focuses is we focus on building technologies that help chefs run their kitchens better. It's amazing what chefs do every single day to put that much food in a consistent way on plate. It's a Herculean effort. And we see opportunities for technology to help chefs get better control of that operation, better visibility into how that operation is working, and ultimately allow them to spend more time focusing on putting the right foods on the table and creating the right experience 
as opposed to just trying to manage the operation and kind of get through the day, if you will. Where, where do you think the, the industry is from a digitization point? I often say that we, we come from a, you know, sometimes the dark ages and we, we really trying to catch up now and you see some of the, 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 the biggest probably tech adaptive business is McDonald's, my previous employer, and they started years ago. That was already in 2008. We were in Restaurant of the Future and digitization of that. And you can see the impact now. They go and buy tech companies. So they're not just a burger company and property business anymore. They're also becoming a tech business. Where, where do you see the rest of the industry from that point of view in food and beverage? Is there still a lot of catch up to do to get the digital infrastructure, if we should use that word? The hospitality industry and, and, and generally food tends to lag other markets, right? To sort of put my sort of global sort of cross industry yeah. hat on financial technologies, retail. Those are areas where digitization is really important um, and has played a huge role in transforming the way that those operations work. Digitization is just now starting to hit more and more kitchens with that and the hospitality industry in general. And I think that's going to continue. And so there's going to be a lot of change coming for that and the people that adopt that. And I don't mean adopt it blindly, right? You have to look at what you need and what's out there. And I think you have to engage with these technologies. But those that find the right technologies that can really drive change will see tremendous value. One of my sort of favorite stories right now is if, if you look at what TGI Fridays has done in the U.S. around using artificial intelligence and specifically, you know, natural language processing, which is the part of AI that kind of creates speech to look at what customers want to consume in their restaurants and to personalize, you know, through social media, reaching out to them and giving them offers to sort of bring them in store. And, you know, the, the story behind it is that it's created a lot of value. I'm sure there's been mistakes along the way in doing that. I'm sure in any deployment, there's been huge mistakes along the way. But if you're not failing sometimes, you're probably not trying hard enough to stay ahead of the curve. So, you know, my my sort of encouragement of anyone in the hospitality industry, and it's not going to say that you should use Winnow, though we'd love to talk to you. It's to say that how could technology make your business be run better? What tools do you need to have and sort of what is it that's out there? And go try them. Go try to figure out what's going to enable you because your competitors are doing that. If they're doing it and you're not and they find an advantage, right, as a result, that's going to hurt your your business, your operation. At the same time, you know, food's an art form. You know, chefs are in, in some ways both one part production manager and one part artist, right? And I can't think of very many things out there that kind of have split of responsibilities on a single person with the level of complexity. You can have part artist where you are mass producing, I don't know, say clothing, but you are designing an article and then you are sending it out to manufacture and there's a consistent way to do it. Food's different. Food, even the same products you get in every single day, they're going to slightly change through the seasons. They're going to have be of different quality. Uh, there's going to be tastes that change. And the number of inputs that then have to then get transformed into a number of dishes to continue to delight customers that sort of come through the door is a, is a unique challenge that I don't really see in, in any other industry for that. And so I think that, you know, part of the reason why technology can be impactful today is there's been a sea change in, in the capability of, of these technologies to actually help mobile, you know, situational awareness of kind of where you are, Internet of Things, being able to put computers in places that we used to not be able to do so, artificial intelligence to be able to interpret 
information in ways that we've been unable to analyze it in the past. Um, these are all things that are lending themselves to be better applicable to an incredibly complex but also generally subscale, meaning relatively small operations that are all there. Um, and I think that's part of why we're starting to see that transformation today. We know it's, it's growing at a rapid pace, as I can understand. And, and I guess from you as a founder, I can remember I met you first time, you had 10 people on your team. It was quite new, everything back in 2014, I think mm -hmm. it was. You grow in the business now with more than 100 people and lots of clients. How do you see yourself as one of the co-founders on, on that journey? That must have been, you know, it's such an important, important purpose and such an important job you have to do, but you still have to keep a business running to fuel that journey. How are you seeing yourself from a leadership point of view on that journey? And, and, and what is the successes and, and challenges on that as well? I think the first thing is I consider myself incredibly lucky. I'm lucky to have some of the success that I've had. I think we underestimate how luck plays a role there. I'm also just lucky to be able to wake up every single day and work on a problem that I really care about solving. It's something that even in the hardest days of the business, things are either really challenging or we're in a situation where we need to work through and kind of improve as an organization. Even in those sort of darkest days, and they're there, right? I am fine getting out of bed and going to work because I believe that this, that this problem of food waste has to be solved, right? So there's a mission to what we do. I'm lucky that I get to get out of bed every single day and go on a mission to solve a problem as opposed to just sort of going to work, uh, if you will. In terms of challenges we've had and kind of, I guess, sort of sort of reflections on this on this journey, you know, for me, it's it's it's, it's I'd say it's three things. It's it's one really listening to your customers and listening to the market about how you should improve and evolve the product. And our first version of our technology did not have computer vision. We knew we wanted to do that but we knew that the technology wasn't ready quite yet. And one of the biggest questions sort of customers always had to us is if people are using your system to record food waste, but you don't know exactly what it is, one, how accurate is that data? And then kind of two, will they really kind of maintain that process because kitchens are really busy places, right? And so investing in and deploying computer vision so that just the camera can do this itself has been very, very important in sort of taking on that feedback from our clients and advancing it. So, you know, you have to be customer centric and, and, and that's, the, that's the biggest thing. We ourselves are not saving $35 million a year in food costs and $25 million meals. It's our clients that are doing that and we're enabling them to do that, right? Um, so how do we now enable that 30 times the size over the next five years? That's the question that we're asking. You have to be willing to fundamentally challenge your own business as well as you're kind of exploring things and sort of figuring out that business model. You have to be your, your biggest advocate and your own worst critic at the same time. That's that, that I've had a, a few people say to me and I think it's incredibly true. And then I think the final thing is you just have to have find um, impassioned people that really care about the problem. And we are rich with talent that really wants to come in and solve this problem of food waste that has the same motivation that we do. And my role has evolved from being someone who is a doer in the very beginning, literally installing the equipment. Uh, the first reports on food waste that we had, I pulled off a USB stick and I made the presentations myself to being someone that enables and supports others to sort of achieve the goal. And my role now is a lot more about kind of aligning the business, making sure that we're all rowing in the same direction and, you know, hopefully setting 
goals and objectives and sort of pushing the business to get to a place that some people didn't think was possible. But if it does work, imagine the power that it can have, right? Yeah. And that's really where I spend a lot of my time trying to move things forward now. And I guess in there, we, we had a couple of other on the podcast talking about, you know, the growing their business and developing their culture. I know that when you have a very strong purpose and a mission, it's always easier to attract the best of the best people or the, the people who really want to make a change. And there's mm -hmm. no doubt about that's where many businesses has to find that inner purpose or re rediscover that. The early team, the first 12, is a very special thing. It's the family and then it evolves and you have to create this company culture, the the, the boss word is. How have you gone, gone with that? Because it's gone so incredible fast and you now spread over how many countries? Three, four? We operate in six countries. Six yeah. countries. Well, we, we, we have offices in six countries. Yeah. Uh, Windows used in over 40 countries. Yeah. 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 The first thing is, is, is who you bring in the door. There's probably been about 10 times where there was a really awesome person that we interviewed that wanted to work for Winnow, but for all the wrong reasons and wasn't a fit. Those moments of choosing to bring the right people in the door, the time where it's really the test of that metal is when you are having to turn someone down because they're not a culture fit, but because they're, because they're a great engineer or because they'd be a great salesperson for the organization or they'd be really, really good at other things like that. So first thing is you you guard it at the door, right? You you got to find people that are that are here for for the right reasons. The second thing is I think you you lead by example. We're an organization that believes in being transparent and honest. We every single week share where the organization is. You know, in our last funding rounds, we had a very open conversation with the team about what we want to do accomplish. We had an open conversation with the team around how that progress was going and everyone knows where the business is. That's important. You Find ways to celebrate others who are leading by that example and lift them up as well. Culture is, it's the factors that go into someone making a decision when you're not around. It's something that you have to cultivate and you have to tend to it. And it's also a bit like like company politics, right? Like we try to be an apolitical company. Politics happens not because anyone wants to create a political organization. Politics happens because you don't fight against it at every single step of the way. You know, it, it's a lot of conscious decisions, a, a sum of hundreds or thousands of these conscious decisions that kind of get you to the place that we are. Our, our, our culture is not perfect, right? Our culture will continue to evolve. And we work in a number of different cultures around the world as well. But we do have a common thread that sort of binds us um, and we'll continue to protect that and reinforce that as we grow. What I normally say is the CEO's job, what you're doing now is that you set the direction of the business and reinforce the, the purpose get the right people on the bus, the, the wrong off the bus, in the right seat of mm -hmm. the bus, and then you uh, create and build culture and you get out of the way in principle. And that's one of the biggest challenges for many founders, including what I've been in myself, like taking that step away from being a doer to actually be a facilitator of the organization. Super interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's broadly right. In terms of my own role, I think it's that and digging in and helping to roll your sleeves up and push the ball forward. It's the most important thing for the organization to do. And so I try to be a little bit like a heat-seeking missile. I try and find what's the most, like every single week, what's the most important thing for this organization to accomplish this week? And let me go dig in and ensure that the team that's responsible for doing that has the right support. And if they need a bit of, and they need a bit of help, either I need to find them the help myself 
or frankly, sometimes if I think I'd really be the right person to help them, I'll dig in and help them as well. It's my style at least, and, and, and something that, that, that I think is really valuable as a leader is yes, you do have to set the direction, but you've got to be able to go down to the, the sort of one foot view as well as go up to the 30,000 foot view, um, mm-hmm. if you will. And you've got to be able to kind of swing between those, not micromanaging people. In fact, sometimes it's taking direction from somebody else, right? Yeah. But it's, it's about being a thought partner with that person that really is, is kind of in the driver's seat for one of the most important things that that business can do and ensuring that they're going to be successful. And when they're successful, then you as a leader are successful. Super interesting. Really, I really like that take. Yeah, we talked about I- IKEA before. Ingvar Kamprad also positioned himself in the business was most important, but often in the front line where there was challenges to, to help them sort it out, to make sure they have the right resource and skills around them to do that. The, the, the asset that I have, and, and really the only thing that I have that I think is, is different from most people in the organization is I have, I have a view and a context of kind of the entire organization that, that is difficult to replicate. And so what I bring is probably not the brains and probably not the sort of marginal you know, muscle or effort to be able to get that done. It's really kind of the sort of broader context of what are we hearing from clients in another part of the world? What are we doing from a product perspective? And bringing that context and that information to help someone solve that problem in the right way so that it can have the biggest impact on the business. And I, I really do believe in that kind of sort of frontline element. It, one, it, it helps you stay close to really what the customers need. But then you can bring the, hey, if this is happening in the frontline, why are these decisions being made over here in the organization? And being able to tie that together in a, in a, in a consistent way. Mark, in the end of the podcast, unfortunately, we're getting to the end. I always ask the guests if they can get one advice to to other leaders out there in the industry, in the food and drink industry. What is that one advice you will give them they should go and and do something about? Let me slightly frame it a different way, which is what's the thing that I'm most grateful for? I'm most grateful for purpose in what we do. It motivates me, it motivates my team, and it helps keep me on the straight and narrow path of what I should be doing. And so if there is an opportunity for someone to find that purpose in what they do, just to share that it's incredibly powerful, it's enriching, and it's, for me, now I would really be hard-pressed to find being in a business without it, right? If you haven't quite yet found that purpose and encouragement to do so, if you do have that purpose, isn't it great? And, you know, we as leaders can can really fall back on that and both find it as a source of inspiration as well as enrichment. Yeah, and as you said, it keep you going when the, the tough gets tough. And is incredibly rewarding when it's when it's successful at the same yeah. time. So it's, yeah. it, it's not just the valleys, it's also the peaks. Mark, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy scheduling and uh, talking about Winnow, making the planet a better place by reducing food waste, your your own journey and uh, the journey as, as a company. I'm sure we will be staying in touch as things move forward and see where when Winnow hits their impact with 35 times. Was that what you said? Yeah, we've got to get to a billion dollars saved a year, which is yeah. about 30 times where we are today. Uh, we'll, we'll keep out on that. That's definitely a celebration podcast to do there. So thank you very much, Mark, and uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark, for sharing your journey with Winnow and raising the challenges for our planet and humanity and how we can solve these. I will encourage you all out there to start reflecting on what can you do to make a difference for the planet and humanity. Every little action matters. We can all make a difference. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate, or subscribe to one of our channels. Thanks to Let's Talk Video Production for helping making these podcasts amazing.
Also, thanks for Experience 101 supporting us, getting these out to more movers, shakers, and mavericks. And if you have not yet signed up to the event in London, do the right thing on the 18th of March. Get on to experience101.live and get your ticket today. I hope you enjoyed today's Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingser. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.